Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, depending on when you're listening to this. My name is Richard Foster, and this is episode five of the Strongcast. As promised, we've got someone on to talk to you about um, training and programming. Um, and by popular request, we've got two people for that. We've got Luke Hoffman and Callum Raystrick. <laughs> Callum Raystrick um, from the Muscle Mentors. I've no idea how you pronounce that. That's a very strange spelling. Um, and they can very highly recommend it. So these guys are both supplement needs athletes. They are um, well-known kind of biomechanics experts, and uh, I believe you both compete. Well, Luke, yeah. Luke, I've tried to force Luke to compete for about the last two years. He hasn't done it yet, but okay. <laughs> soon. They um, also run an online members website. So if you are interested in, in um, going into things in more detail, particularly if you're a coach, they have a subscription site that you can sign up for too. What we're going to look at today is how you would approach setting up a training program for someone who is either completely new to the gym or if you've been training for a while but you've kind of just muddled your way through with no particular plan or goal, the things you need to focus on in order to build muscle as efficiently as possible and the things you maybe don't need to worry about and how you might structure that. So without further ado, I will pass over to Luke and Callum. Firstly, thanks for having us on. Yeah. All welcome. Yeah. Come. So training-wise, for beginners, it's quite hard because obviously stuff we're doing on our website, especially what Luke's doing in terms of mechanics and the science of hypertrophy is quite complicated, but there obviously needs to be some form of like entry-level understanding for people to first take this on as a foundation to then move forwards. And like you said, like we'll do a potentially a more advanced episode later on. Absolutely. Um, what we tend to find, I guess, is that the, the people with the most skills sit at the top which means, unfortunately, the people who are just starting out maybe end up dealing with Deborah, who's done a two-day PT course, and yeah. the foundations maybe end up being not as optimal as they perhaps could be. Yeah. Hmm. I think the fundamentals of training is we've got a from a from a, a training perspective as a, a skill. Like, there's two sides of this. There's the intricacies of programming and like the manipulation of variables, like how you're setting out a program with volume and frequency. But then there's also like the imperative importance of like your ability to execute a program. So regardless of whatever we would just prescribe to a client or anyone coming to us for, for help, like whatever we give you on paper it is, is not necessarily going to be effective. It's relative to your ability to execute that in the first place. So as, as you'll hear, like the popularity of exercise execution and exercise delivery over the last couple of years by it's kind of grown on social media, hasn't it? Maybe the hypertrophy coach was the first one to start talking about it on a larger platform and then everyone started to follow. Um, a huge component of that is going to be exercise delivery. And it's something that Luke, from a mechanics perspective, will go into a lot of detail on. Um, but the intricacies of training for hypertrophy, and Luke can talk all day about the science behind it, but you know there are certain mechanisms. And then we know that hypertrophy is a signal-independent process. So we're trying to get individuals from the start very aware of their ability to recover and the volume that they need at any given time relative on numerous factors yeah. to actually start maintaining a progressive stimulus and training a muscle with their their kind of what we'd call max recoverable frequency where they can train the tissue as frequently as they can while still being able to recover and yeah. perform as optimally as possible. So, so you would generally say that the more often someone can hit a muscle group but still recover the more potential growth they're going to see. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Go on, Luke. Well, I'd say potentially. I mean, that that's up in the air when you look at the research of like frequency and stuff like that. They, they 
the argument that more frequent stimulation leads to better results is kind of you know it isn't always pan out that way in research you see some some in you know they shown on a lot of occasions that the same volume across the week you know ultimately will lead to the same result it, it depends largely on um you know the individual and their response and i think that's like one of the things that i mean cal's kind of alluding to there is like it, the there's always a risk when people give generic you know generic advice in this area because no one ever responds the same as someone else to exercise you know they're every single level of your your response to training with respect to hypertrophy is you know so individual on like every level so when you see someone saying this is the best approach you know training every muscle you know the muscles two three times you know a week whatever it is that may work well for them you can't ever guarantee that's going to work well for every other person in you know nine you know ten ten out of ten individuals so it's like so i think understanding that you're potentially going to have to incorporate some sort of trial and error approach to figuring out what works best for you is probably the best place to start um that's that's potentially relatively new to, to some kind of structure where would you suggest a logical starting point would be because obviously that trial and error process has to start somewhere Oh, for sure. I, I I don't know if Cal would agree, but I think getting a coach, if this is something you're interested in kind of maximizing straight away, one of the easiest ways would be to get a coach who understands that that sort of approach is needed. So they're not going to give you an approach that they do with every other one of their athletes. They're going to kind of treat you as an individual, trial out different approaches, maybe starting. And like the, the most logical place to start is always going to be with lower amounts of volume. Okay. And see you know essentially the minimum effective dose what what what's the maximum possible result you can get out of the minimum um stimulus so i think the and that's uh it's a very safe place to start in general so it'd be a case of and it's you know it's potentially a case of doing like full body sessions three times a week with one set per body part um you know and 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 but then treating that one set as a very important set yeah. and using it as an opportunity to kind of create as much mechanical tension as possible and there's like various well three arguably arguable mechanisms of hypertrophy um metabolic stress mechanical tension muscle damage the really only one people need to focus on is mechanical tension muscle damage is kind of like it's something we go into on the site yeah. i'm doing an ebook that goes into it it's kind of more of an, a hindrance than anything it's not yeah. a very you know, it's a, it's not a very powerful stimulus hypertrophy. If anything, it's going to lead to tissue loss if in excessive amounts. So people so, that are trying chasing muscle damage is probably not a good idea. So for those beginner trainers, you're gonna you you would say that the main thing to focus on with training is muscular tension, and by that you mean intensity so, sets. No, but so mechanical tension is quite easily defined as like the combination of the internal force generation within a muscle so how much force you can produce internally how hard you can contract tissue and the external forces that are experienced by that muscle so how much load are you lifting so essentially can you maximize both those variables can you contract your muscles exceptionally hard and use a, you know a significant amount of load and a progressive amount of load and then that's where progressive overload comes in um which is the whole idea of essentially increasing the stimulus that you're applying to that tissue whether that's increasing the number of reps sets if you lift a little bit more weight or a little bit more reps every week, then you must be getting stronger. And if you're getting stronger, you must have more muscles. 
Yeah, not necessarily the strength. I mean, this this where like strength and hypertrophy are kind of strength and size adaptation are two different things. And often, you know, strength is going to happen very quickly. Um, size is obviously, you know, you're not going to get as big as quickly as you are going to get strong. Um, so I think that's something that people need to recognize that just by getting strong doesn't mean you're necessarily building tissue. It's a good place to, to kind of like focus your efforts on because you're going to get quite a lot of results. And there's quite a high correlation between the strongest individuals and the biggest individuals, but obviously strength isn't the main thing you should be worried about if you're trying to get jacked. Um, the, um, but yeah, obviously it's important. Um, but the, the, that's where like, I think it's, uh, and something we can touch on now, it's something both Cal and I incorporate in our approaches of people get very held up on, I need to get as strong as possible as quickly as possible because I see the big guys doing it. Yeah. We hear people like JP speaking a lot of a lot of speaking about it a lot, but they then forget essentially the quality of the reps and again the other component to mechanical tension, which is how much force can you generate internally. Yeah. So they lose, and that's the thing. Like people look at progressive overload as how I need to increase the amount of volume or intensity or the load I'm lifting, um, and but they forget that quite an easy way to increase the amount of mechanical tension and muscle experiences can just be the quality of how well you can contract that tissue. So I think well, that I mean, would be my more strength sports, strong man powerlifting. And I suppose when you're trying to do well in that, your main goal is to make things as easy, easy. as possible. You're trying yeah. to put as much load through the skeletal rather than through your muscle and um, perform the movement as efficiently as possible. So from a uh, working your muscle perspective, that might not be, yeah, and that and that's ultimately the, the the issue that that approach kind of bleeds into bodybuilding with that people kind of they take the idea of I need to get as strong as possible and they inevitably kind of let these compensatory patterns occur when they're lifting and they kind of take the path of least resistance by essentially allowing the nervous system to find the easiest way to lift whatever it is they're lifting. And an easy example of that would be kind of you know two examples would be they're doing a bicep curl for instance and for the first two weeks they're kind of relatively strict and then they start adding more and more load and by the fourth week they're kind of doing a hip extension more than an actual bicep curl and then a similar one would be on like a bench press you know they kind of you know for the first two weeks are relatively strict and then as the weight increases they start lifting their hips up every time they yeah. they do each rep as they reach failure and it's like that's their body trying to essentially find the most mechanically advantageous position to get them through that rep when the actual stimulus experienced by the muscle is going to be less so the the the, the ability that's where people get focused on the strength side of things that oh i must be building muscle because i'm getting stronger but it's actually what you're actually the stimulus you're providing for the muscle that you're trying to grow is actually less now than what it was um so I think one of the things I like, and I think Cal will agree, is when we're kind of starting people out, especially for beginners, one of the best things you can focus on is the quality of the contraction. How well can you connect to the tissue that you're trying to stimulate throughout the entire range? Can you contract it from its fully lengthened position all the way through to its fully shortened position with control, like without letting the weight essentially dictate what's going on um and that's where james who works with us did a really nice post a couple of days ago saying how programming is not important and 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 that was his opening line and he said okay let me rephrase that programming isn't important as um essentially the quality of the reps you're doing and essentially 
for a lot of people until you're performing what he said were perfect reps from start to finish. You're never going to get the perfect rep, but close to perfect reps with complete control. You know, you're contracting amazingly from start to finish. You're not letting execution dip, etc. Until you can do that, there's no point in saying, I need to do more volume, whatever it is, because again, the volume is going to change. And it also brings into question when people are looking at research of, you know, oh, this, this research says this, this amount of volume is best, where well, you don't know what that volume looked like for those trainees. Yeah. And you also, you know, you could, you could be pretty damn sure that it probably wasn't as optimal as it could have been. So where they found that 10 sets worked for this group on average, were you to perform that set, you know, those 10 sets with a lot more precision and control and all this stuff and have more of an understanding of what's actually going on, you might find that two or three sets was actually enough. You know, so, so if, we, if we go back to the opening thing of programming for beginners, I suppose yeah. the takeaway from this initial bit is actually that you would say that focusing on being able to do exercises as well as possible is going to be more important in that in that starting out phase. For sure, for sure. In my opinion, at least, I think. Carol, yeah. I think one thing that we're like both me and Luke will do, and I think all the boys do it, is. Um, like for beginners, for me, I would say, like Luke said, my, maybe three, full body three times a week. So everything gets stimulated three times with a little bit of workload per muscle group or maybe upper lower and do four four days a week. Um, Which so is probably frequency the opposite is, how people start as you could be. Isn't it? Most people will start doing a chest push pull legs or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, they'll, they'll see JP posting when they'll be like, I want to do that. But it's like he's been training for 25 years. Like <laughs> you've got you to work yourself up to that. Um and it's it works for him. It doesn't necessarily work for you. Um, but I think one one thing, a key take home from an execution perspective, when Luke talks about mechanical tension, is um, like execution and rep delivery. And I think a big component of that would be the speed at which someone is 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 moving these loads as well. Um, one thing that we'll do with, especially with beginners, and to be to be honest, like everyone that starts with me initially, just so I can tidy things up, is I will slow down rep speed both eccentrically and concentrically to make sure that they are forcing as much tension in the right places as possible. And to humble them a little bit in terms of like, if I've seen them train on Instagram and I know that they just like to shift load, I know that the training response and their ability to be long, like have some longevity within their training cycle is going to be much better if they tidy this up and, and rein these things in to be more accurate. So they might've been lifting everything with, you know, a, a two second eccentric and a, a half a second concentric previously just being as explosive as they can. And I might change that to three seconds, both ways or four seconds, both ways for the first couple of months and normally the the stimulation you see if you can nail their ability to recover at the same time is like insane because they're suddenly placing twice as much mechanical tension on every, every tissue they're training and the response obviously dictates that as well and then over time as they become more skilled they can earn the right to move with more yeah. speed if that makes sense mm. and it's and then it's also a case of you know and i'll try and keep this as 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 um unscientific as possible but like exercises is incredibly invasive i mean and like there's a guy so one of the programs that is we've all been through to learn about exercise mechanics is called rts which is resistance training specialist and it's founded by a guy called tom purvis and he speaks about this a lot um 
about how invasive exercise is and and you know he kind of brings up examples of people essentially put you know did a presentation where he had this guy with a massive gash in his arm and it was like okay yeah acutely it's probably not very nice to have your arm cut but similarly chronically if you're doing you're exercising in an irresponsible way or applying forces to your body your joints and you know your joint structures ligaments tendons muscles etc but specifically the joints um for years and years and years on end in a chronic fashion the result from doing that in a in a kind of an irresponsible manner with poor use of, of force progression and not any consideration for the things we've just spoken about in terms of you know tempo and, and execution essentially what the, the joint is experiencing the, the result is that you're going to end up with a degradation of that joint things like arthritis and stuff like that and it, and it, people don't consider that now at the, be- at the beginning of their state their stage in resistance training it becomes something when they get to their late 30s you know 40s like james who works with us has experienced this himself like he's completely battered his joints and it wasn't he's kind of come into this information too late yeah. to actually yeah. do anything about it but were he to you know take this information to kind of work with someone who knew this stuff at the beginning of their journey the yeah. end result when they're later in life they're not going to be kind of hindered by all this chronic pain that has essentially accumulated so again like making these decisions to start training now with less than is needed yeah. and control everything you're doing um you know, be completely in control, like Cal said about, you know, putting slow concentrics, knee centrics, like pausing at each end of the range would be another one, a valid thing to do as well, you know, from a perspective of, again, as you're kind of lowering through an eccentric, for instance, on like a chest press or something like that, are you able to actually pause in the bottom position in, in a position that's kind of safe for the glenohumeral joint, the shoulder joint? Um, or are you going to let the weight kind of just catapult you down through that eccentric and pull that joint into a pretty compromised position? You know, again, you can consider these things now. Probably going to be thanking yourself in 10, 20, 30 years' time. So if we're saying that exercise execution, the way in which people do their the exercises is, is perhaps more important at the early stages of programming, it's fair to say that exercise selection is going to have to be something that we look at next in that case. Yeah. And certainly the way I was brought up, the way I learned to train 15 years ago was that you've learned to squat, bench and deadlift and then everything else is kind of secondary. I understand that's probably moved on a little bit now. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> well, sense, yeah. I'd, say, I'd say it should um, and it kind of is, but it, it's still the thing that those, those, those movements are largely regarded as the basics. And, and the ironic thing is there's absolutely nothing basic about them. You know, kind of what we do at our gym. Yeah, say again? kind of what we do at our gym yeah but, but for beginners and stuff like that you know it's a case of would you ask the question of okay i want to stimulate you know their goal is often not going to be anything related to i want to squat deadlift or bench whatever it is like that sure. their goal is i want to look better function better potentially you know not be in pain whatever it is um maybe not even that but their goal is going to be body composition orientated so it's a case of okay i want to figure out a way to stimulate the tissues i need to stimulate in the way that's going to be most appropriate for their skill level and kind of you know the fact that this person's probably not got the ability to contract a muscle without any load applied to it so you know why would we go and stick a bar on their back and ask them to do a complicated um zoom just told me they've taken away our time limit oh sweet sweet um (laughs) <laughs> but you know, it's like so you have someone who's never contracted their 
quads against any kind of form of external resistance. So their ability, like we spoke about mechanical tension, their ability to produce force internally is going to be pretty poor because they've never kind of trained that skill. Um, and then you're asking them to, you know, perform the complex choreography of a back of a barbell back squat because you've read or heard from a gym bro that it's the best thing for quads. When in reality, it's probably one of the poorest quad stimulators out there when you break down the mechanics of it. So you're kind of putting all this, like, you know, the, the asking a client who's completely new to this situation to do one of the most complex things in the gym on a movement that isn't probably actually relevant to their goal of I want to get bigger quads. You know, a case of okay maybe we'll stick to machine-based things initially where you're kind of in a supported environment you can lock in relatively well there's maybe only one joint involved in the scheme of things and we can kind of improve the skill of contracting that quad exceptionally well and stimulating it in an isolated scenario or close to isolated scenario and then um you know as their skill level grows we can start incorporating those more complex movements down the line so i think you know you know appropriateness and and skill level and all that stuff is something that people would also need to kind of lump into their um considerations when they're working with people that are new to the gym what do you reckon Cal? yeah 100 percent. agree yeah but it's, it's something but it's the thing that's where you say like you know people it would be nice if people moved on from the squat bench deadlift being the the kind of the basics but you know when you consider what's actually involved in them and the kind of considerations from a skill perspective also an anatomical perspective they have to go into their their prescription it's kind of they're, they're the, the most that could go wrong is probably with those movements yeah they are doesn't mean they're bad so it's just it's just there's a time and a place to look for it. beginners and stuff like that that's rarely it okay so, and it's, it's a complicated subject. So I suppose this isn't the kind of thing where we're going to turn around and go, right, so a beginner needs to train four times a week doing this program with this amount of volume. Um, so it's trying to get points that they can take away yeah. in their own training. So focusing on being able to do movements correctly, I suppose everyone thinks they do movements correctly, but, but that to you would mean being able to control the movement yeah. correctly being able to contract the movement and feel the muscle. Is that a term you use? Well, yeah, essentially you have you know, it's, it's like the, the sufficient level of neuromuscular awareness and skill. Can they, can they contract the muscle well against the load they're trying to lift and not let the load control them probably? And, and would you suggest specifically single joint movements for someone relatively new? Not specifically. There's, I mean, it's in terms of where are you going to challenge them most? I don't know if you'd agree on that because there's obviously it isn't to say that these multi-joint movements are bad. It's just there's more to go wrong. But if you want someone, if someone's goal is I want to actually, you know, I want to get jacked, but I also want to learn how to squat really well because I like the look of that or I enjoy deadlifting, whatever it is. Because you know, we'll cut. I come in. You know, I work with people that on paper are relatively advanced or should be, but realistically they're actually still beginners in their ability to kind of recruit muscle tissue and stuff like that. And you see them do certain exercises and you're like, actually, you shouldn't be doing that because you don't actually have the skill. So we'll dial it back, but we'll keep that in maybe. So I'll kind of put the majority of the session focused on these movements where you can kind of lock in, contract you know, stimulate the tissue in a very safe way, in a very efficient manner, and then we'll put those kind of more complex movements in at the end, but maybe we won't load them up particularly heavily. 
um, and we'll kind of work on the skill of can you just kind of perform that with you know control and and kind of create a strong internal focus on the muscle and then as that improves we can start adding more external load okay. and stuff like that so, um, well no i was just saying so like back to your question of like would you use single joint movements it'd be a, it would be a a safe place to start um in terms of but i think understanding it's just again back to that rts program he talks about essentially every exercise exists on a continuum and you've got to understand where on the continuum that client is most you know is, is more, most appropriate for that client in front of you so if it's a beginner chances are you're going to probably be towards the end where it's more single jointed you know movements where everything's a bit more focused in the kind of the challenge being placed on the body. And then as their skill grows and stuff like that, you can start transitioning towards the other end, the more complicated side of the spectrum. And in terms of level of, level of exertion for someone that's wanting to get jacked, as we say, um, is, is someone who's relatively new wanting to go in and, and destroy themselves because intensity is very much the popular thing at the moment. Uh, is that appropriate or are they going to want to kind of go to, eight out of ten where would you say that needs to be what do you reckon Carl? i think like the the goal for anyone new to it should always be to be looking like macro scale as opposed to micro scale and looking at right if i start with this what I'm, where am i going to be in three months and six months time and nine months time and 12 months time like we need to start with the ability to therefore be able to advance that stimulus moving forward. So like, if you want to say, you know, I'm going to start at 80% of what I could potentially handle, then focus on maximizing the quality of that and then slowly progressing could be even less than that. I, I think too many people go zero to hundred miles an hour far too quickly yeah. um, because they're eager and they're motivated, which is great, but we've got to, it, we've got to you know, appreciate the fact that a big part of that as well. Um, I know yeah. when I started 16 years ago now, 15, 17 years ago now that I started, so you only had the big guys at the gym who would kind of give you a bit of advice and maybe what you could read in a book or a magazine. Whereas now you can jump on Instagram and you can see absolute beef titans like Hollingshead and JP and whoever, um, you know, doing crazy stuff with massive weight and huge intensity. Um, so it's very easy to see that and go, that looks fucking cool. I want to do that. Yeah. Um, but it's perhaps not appropriate, even for someone who's at a, an intermediate level. Because, I mean, I don't know JP personally, but I followed him for a long time. Uh, and I'm well aware that he trains with an intensity that 95% of people wouldn't be able to sustain. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's where the intensity kind of exists on like a bell curve in the sense of the and, uh, like intensity and volume and stuff like that in terms of the, the link between those guys of when you're starting out, you're probably not going to be, you're not going to need a lot of volume, but equally you're not going to be able to produce as much intensity because you just don't have the skill. You can't contract tissue that efficiently. You won't, your nervous system won't be as resilient to it. Muscle tissue won't be as resilient to it. You just, you don't need it and you probably can't do it. So you, you but equally you don't need a lot of volume. We all know that when you're new to training, you're just, you're going to get pretty jacked pretty quick and people tend to completely overdo it, which is the annoying thing. Like if you start out with less and then kind of like Cal said, you think of the bigger, the bigger well, picture. Go, you? Yeah, yeah. So I think like understanding that kind of you're going to be kind of starting in a place where you can't produce a lot of intensity, but equally you don't need a lot of volume. And then as that your ability to produce intensity improves, um, you know you can start exploring 
you know higher volumes and kind of figuring out what's what working what works best for you because again you've got to understand that for some people like cow and i are different on that front cow can seemingly tolerate or only needs less vo- like a kind of a small amount of volume can train with a very high intensity i would say i too can train at a pretty high intensity but i seem to just need more volume than cow so there's that individual difference that again Absolutely. you can't follow the jb you've got to figure out what approach works best but then as you get to that level of you can start producing this you know insane amount of intensity which will take time potentially years to be able to get to you'll find that that stimulus that you're able to create in that one two sets is probably enough so you can then drop the volume requirements down so it kind of goes on that kind of spectrum below that bell curve so i think you know that's that's something that people can bear in mind that they can their the volume they need is probably going to change as their ability to generate intensity improves and stuff like that the the biggest i ever got was training 45 minutes to an hour four times a week um maybe 125 kilos relatively lean this is a while ago now um but i was surprised myself that that worked for me but i certainly wouldn't suggest it was appropriate for most people um what things would you say people just don't need to worry about? Because there's lots of things at the moment that are super trendy. What would you say are things that people can just completely not worry about at the moment, you know, assuming they're in that beginner intermediate phase? I think from, from a beginner perspective, like any, any advanced modality that people are putting into their training programming to ramp up the level of stimulus they're receiving, like, um, in my opinion, like a rest pause set or uh, like um, anything that they're doing to generate like extreme levels of, of, of intensity in that way, like I just don't think is relevant or needed for a beginner, given the fact that they can respond positively to like a minuscule amount of stimulus. And you can keep um, it in your bag for when you do need them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying of, you know, you get those people that will be new to training you get them to a rest pause set and they don't have the skill or awareness to kind of maintain the level of execution needed in the last two or three rounds of that becomes so messy and dangerous that you're just like, okay, well, well that was just a silly decision. So, yeah. be, you know, yeah, kind of, I'd say kind of meet yourself where you're at in that sense of, you know, don't do too much, you know. And I think, yeah, I think drop, I think that goes for drop sets, muscle rounds, things like that, things where you're going to incur such a high amount of fatigue and, and metabolic stress, you know, that you're likely to kind of start, you know, really dropping the quality of the execution. Yeah. It's probably and not the It's important yeah. to say that, that just like um, tracking blood glucose when someone's dieting, we're not saying they're not good tools. They're just not appropriate or necessary tools for someone who's still got lots of low-hanging fruit to pick. For sure. That's a lovely way to think about it. Yeah. Um, Things like bands, occlusion training, that kind of stuff, I would put those under the same heading personally. And they're, they're great tools, but again, for a beginner, in my opinion, just not necessary. I don't know if there's something that you would maybe use. Uh, it depends. Like, I think occlusion for sure, I, I don't think it's necessary. I mean, you could make a case that you could, but I, I just think. You look like massive benders, to be honest. You just won't, yeah. But I think bands you probably could because of how you know, and this stuff we go into, and like we won't go into it now. But from a perspective of exercise mechanics and making movements more efficient, if you actually wanted to spend less time in the gym, essentially, let's say you were doing one to two, three sets a week per body part, 
to make those sets as optimal as possible and kind of create the stimulus that there will probably be a case for bands. I mean, okay. you know, for a beginner, that'd probably be something if you were a personal trainer, there's probably more and you understood how to set those up correctly, it'd probably be better than giving them to a beginner and saying, have a crack at this, unless you had some pretty decent videos. I mean, we've got some stuff that we'd send clients on that, but I think you know, realistically, a lot of us, a lot of the people we work with aren't complete beginners. So yeah. I think um, that's probably not, you know the best example to use but the um but yeah if you're a personal trainer you understand bands and, and you're working with beginners and you can use them to kind of optimize the stimulus you're giving in terms of making the set more demanding um you're probably gonna do you know do yourself a lot of do yourself and the client a lot of good when it comes to creating the most out the most stimulus out of the less okay, at least on this volume so in terms of where we're at i guess Perhaps a non-optimal program executed correctly, you would say, is going to be better than a, an optimal program executed poorly. Yeah, I'd yeah, agree. I'd agree. Yeah, and that and that's something I think people do miss. They kind of focus on, I've got this person in front of me that, oh, you know, I'll spend all the time writing the program, but no time teaching them how to do it. Or the yeah. person that says, I'll give them something pretty basic and then I'll make sure they're doing it unbelievably well. Yeah. The person who does the, the latter is probably going to get more like better results in the scheme of things. Mm. I mean, I guess um, what, I, what I, I suggest with that, the way we used to train back in the day, I come in and doing a five-day bodybuilder body part split, although it's perhaps not optimal. If those exercises are performed correctly, it can still be effective. Yeah, and, and this thing that like I've just written, I'm nearly done an ebook kind of around understanding home training. So we're going to, I'm just, hopefully it's going to be finished today, actually. It's about 30,000 words of, <laughs> of like geeking out and stuff like this, but I break down the mechanics of a press up and, and because there's loads of research comparing press ups and bench press and stuff like that. Yeah. And I go through all this stuff and I say, you know, you know, there's no, at no point in these studies, did they try and optimize the profile of this or whatever it is. It was just like, they looked at a press up and look, people built a lot of muscle doing it, you know, and we see it all the time. People train like from a, they train like idiots in terms of how they execute it, but there's no thought process put into how can I optimize this movement? They still build a lot of muscle. So it's like, you can't, yeah. you know, you can't rule out that you can't make the case that, Oh, you know, that, that movement, the profile of that movement is, is not optimal in terms of, you know, the, the strength profile, the muscle and stuff like that, there's crap. People are like, well, the fact that that person's getting pretty jacked speaks differently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. I mean, as well, people can do lots of things wrong and still make good progress. So I guess that's something not to get too hung up on occasionally. Yeah. Um, and, then, and this is where like the stuff we talk about in terms of the, the evidence isn't there yet. It's kind of emerging that it is actually better for hypertrophy, but it's more a case of like the stuff we alluded to earlier with respect to joint health and, and training longevity, that if you can take into account optimal profiles and, and you know joint positions you're getting into and this, the, essentially the forces going through that joint at that point, um, it's essentially you just got to, it's like, we, we, I mean, a large portion of what we teach on that is, is physics. Um you can't necessarily argue with it, but that's where it's useful. It's kind of essentially ensuring that people aren't getting battered for years and years and years. And they're kind of putting more thought into what's going to happen when they're done with bodybuilding and they actually still want to function. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I wish I'd listened to that bit possibly a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess for those 
beginners who have listened and were hoping to come away from this with a, a, a sheet they could write down and go, right, well, I'm going to train five by five and I'm going to train this many times a week because they haven't got that. But what they've got are a set of fundamentals to work from. So if we yes. could summarize that, and I know this isn't your strong point, but if we could summarize that in, in a few sentences. I could, we could. Yeah, go yeah. on, give it a go. What do you reckon, Cal? Let's do a I think, uh, the, for a beginner, quality is numero uno when it comes to the importance of exercise. So quality of execution, quality of your ability to deliver sets and focusing on the quality of each and every rep. Um, I'll say, yeah, like, yeah, before adding, thinking about adding reps or adding load, yeah. ask yourself, can you contract that tissue any harder? And if yeah. the answer is yes, that's where you should focus your efforts for the time being. Yeah. Um, and like just getting the general principle home that like at the start less less is more because you want you want that ability to have a lot of wiggle room to to move forwards over time yeah and and if you're I'd say a good point would be if you're coached by someone who's using the argument that read this research said this amount of volume was best for the building muscle ask them for who <laughs> like in the sense of you probably went in that study so you can't be sure that applies to you I mean, so, even, um, even in the best design studies there will always be outliers in the data yeah. and they just oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing to look at i mean you look at the, there's a you know the study of the low carb versus low fat hypothesis and, and body fat you look at the actual individuals in the study and the, the take home is in both are effective for fat loss the take home is wow shit look how individual the response is to each of these approaches yeah. the same thing but you know you saw people in in each group that gained weight and some people that lost three times as much and the same thing applies in hypertrophy you look at oh the average response was that you know a low volume versus high volume approach is equally good. And then you look at the data and you're like, oh, but look at these two guys that lost tissue and this guy over here that gained five times as much as everyone. You're like, okay, well, wow, there's massive individual variances. It's, so it's think- something that quite often gets glossed over. I mean, I'd love to repeat some of these studies with, say, 20 um, IFBB pros. Yeah. And just see how things look different. I mean, the one I, I do a lot more stuff around nutrition and diet, but... Um, I've had several people argue with me over the last few years that um, fasted cardio is no better than normal cardio. And if you go off the data, they'd be correct. But you won't find a study with someone using three IUs of growth hormone pre-fasted cardio or your him being pre-fasted cardio. Those studies don't exist. But we know through fairly sensible understanding of how these compounds work that there's likely to be a benefit. And then you tie that in with the correlative data that you've got. And perhaps there is an argument for it. You can't just get that from a study. 100% and that's where I think there's so you know people looking into this area and working with people that can be reading it on with respect to training make sure that the person that is giving you advice truly understands that as an individual your your response could be completely different and you might need a different different approach and I suppose crucially that they they have knowledge and experience in the area that you're the direction you're wanting to go yeah for sure Um, Um, uh, I suppose another one would be if you're going to Embark if you're relatively new to training, you know, like we were speaking about contracting tissue, give yourself the best opportunity to do that by probably opting for a large percentage of movements being ones that you can actually be supported and locked in, you know, single joint movements where there's less going on, there's less for you to have to juggle with. Uh, uh, so, again, I suppose in contrast to what a more traditional bodybuilder would say, that's going to mean using a lot of machines. Yeah. Which, when I started, the nose was turned up at, you know. Um, you machines were generally looked down on because um what was the argument that was on red? Oh, they don't use gravity because your muscle can tell apparently. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it does. The um, and it's the thing they 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 they're often better. You know, you look at the a well designed leg extension like Cybex. You know, the the um, the stimulus that's actually given to the quads in terms of where the exercise is hardest, where relative to where it's easiest, in line with where we're internally strongest and weakest, yeah, is is more accurate. So you kind of you consider that. Yeah, it's like okay, well, actually, you're probably going to get more out of it. Wrong. There's nothing wrong with using machines because I know yeah. a lot of beginners will get told is to focus on free weights because machines aren't as good. But actually, yeah. you know, in terms of executing a movement and just focusing on contracting the muscle you're trying to train, using a machine takes away all those other variables. Yeah, and that's the thing. All it's just essentially an opportunity to give the muscle that you want to grow. A, a much more precise and accurate stimulus, yeah. you know, stimulus. So it's a, yeah, it's a no-brainer. And I think, I mean, our, our, the, I think our results, I don't mean it to be arrogant. They kind of speak, speak. You know, they kind of prove that in that sense. You know, a, a lot of, um, and pretty much everyone we work with is going to be predominantly machine-based yeah. until now, where they've been stranded at home and maybe all they have is free weights. But you know, we still do incorporate free weights, obviously, but there's always a place for machine work and it's very, very effective. Yeah. Um, and the research confirmed that. So if people did want to go, oh, well, the research, but actually the research does confirm it. So, yeah. No, I mean, it's, and, and I guess it's something that you, if you challenge someone to go and do five sets to absolute failure on a machine, I guarantee they'll be more bad than from five sets to absolute failure on, say, a bicep machine versus doing a standing bicep curl. Yeah, in terms because of yeah, you will inherently start to utilize other muscles in your body with a free weight because that's what you're made to do. You're made to use more than one muscle group. Whereas when you're in a machine, you don't have a choice. The muscle group is isolated. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thinking what the other take ins were. Those. I mean, those are those are good basics that people need to focus on. Do the exercises yeah. properly. Focus on things you can do well. Um, train with as much volume as you need to do to get a result. Yeah, I mean, and and but understanding that as a beginner, probably less is more. Yeah, that, but and that in which is the case of as as much volume as you need is probably not actually that much. And don't worry about doing drop sets and supersets and whatever else until you've got the basics really nailed down. Yeah, nailed. <laughs> is there anything you'd like to add, Colin? You've been very quiet. Uh, no, uh, I think that's that's pretty much it. Like, it's, it's just a it's a tendency to overcomplicate and bring a, a more simplistic way of thinking, but then also it's that simplicity is what people often overlook. So yeah. um, I think there's a lot of people that are talking, including us, a lot of people that are talking sense now and generating a better, better message. Um, but it's obviously, it's not widespread yet, but it's definitely getting better generally from what you're seeing on, on you know the likes of social media there's kind of two sides of social media there's i've just literally opened instagram and seen james hollingshead post a video of him squatting seven plates there's that side yeah. where people will see that and idolize that and be like i want to do that tomorrow but yeah. then there's also people talking you know on on um on a level that will educate as well which is both sides are great like yeah. it's either going to motivate you or educate you um and you just got to pick and choose who you're listening from i guess it takes context with everything into you know james again like jp james has been training for 15 16 years yeah, you certainly didn't wake up and squat seven plates. <laughs> I'd um, hope not. No, <laughs> you see, that, that shit takes time. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think yeah. I think that sums it up well, doesn't it? He, um, yeah, 
So if people want to have a look on your socials, we will tag them in on the the thing. And by we, I mean um, Alex Hoburn that does these for me because I, I can't. Um, Alex, uh, the podcast? Yeah, yeah. Alex, Alex does all that techie stuff for me. Cause That's cool. He told me I should do one. And I said, um, yeah, no, sounds great. I don't know how. And he went, oh, well, just record them and I'll do it for you. So That's cool. <laughs> he's good love. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, he, um, yeah, he's not a bad kid. I say kid, he's like fucking 27 or something. Uh, <laughs> and um, if people want to go to your members site, it is at? I think the if you just Google The Muscle Mentors, it has every single link you'll need, but it's www.themusclementors.co.uk. Okay, nice and simple. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Um, we will, in the future, pick up, um, possibly in a little while, but we, we'd like to pick up, if you are happy to, some advanced training tactics. Advanced hypertrophy swings. I'm sure you can think of a clever word for that. Um, and um, yeah, we'll just go with that. And it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. So um, it's goodbye from me. Yeah, no, that was that was a real pleasure. Thank you for having us on.